Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, presented to you by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. Whether this is your first time you've listened to our program or you have been with us many times before, we are delighted that you have joined us. I'm Donna Ross, your host for today's program. We pray that today may be a special day in your life as you experience through the personal testimony of our featured guest, the presence of Jesus Christ among us. He is alive and well. Magnificat, taken from Luke chapter 1, is the great hymn of praise that Mary prayed while visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Both women had been deeply touched by God. Elizabeth was bearing a long-awaited child. Mary was carrying within her womb the very Son of God. They came together to help one another, to speak of God's action in their lives, to sing, to pray, to share a common faith, and to be strengthened for all that was to come. Like Mary and Elizabeth, we want to come together in God's presence and proclaim the Almighty has done great things for me and you, and holy is His name. This Magnificat Proclaims series features Catholic Christian women who have shared their testimony at one of the many Magnificat chapters hosting quarterly meals around the world. Typically, this three-hour gathering provides opportunity for a shared meal, fellowship, communal praise and worship, personal testimony of one woman's expression of God's action in her life, and intercessory prayer for the needs of the Church and of those present. We trust that these testimonies will help each of us come to better understand that we are truly children of God, made in His image and likeness. We are daughters of the King. I'm pleased to introduce Bonnie Hardy. One of her favorite verses from Scripture is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Life was great for Bonnie and her family back in 1990. Her husband was a successful physician. They had two beautiful children, a lovely home, everything she ever wanted. Then, in May of that year, her life and everything in it came tumbling down. And that was just the beginning of a faith journey that has brought her and her family through suffering that God has used as an instrument in their conversion. On May 3, 1990, Her son Brad was hit by a speeding automobile and was killed. Could the death of their son have been necessary for their salvation? They started to experience some sort of transformation, a conversion to a greater depth of faith. Two years later, she and her husband received a copy of a pastoral letter stating that doctors who prescribe contraception were cooperating with those who use them, and it was gravely sinful. How does an OBGYN who does not prescribe the pill survive? Everything he had worked for would be gone. Bonnie gave her husband's fate to God that night. Bonnie received a BA from Southeastern. She is a member of Regnum Christi, a lay movement in the Catholic Church. She is the wife of Dr. Kim Hardy and the mother of two children. Please listen as this faith-filled woman shares her heartwarming story in which she states that she would not change one thing in the way her life has turned out. Again, it is my privilege to introduce Bonnie Hardy. My talk is titled Love of the Cross, but it's really about the blessings in the cross, its value in the good that God can bring out of the cross. Of course, all reasons for loving the cross. And as you know, our crosses come in different sizes, but the greater the cross, the greater the blessing. And of course, we know this to be true simply by looking at our Lord Jesus Christ. For not only was his cross the greatest of all crosses, but it brought about the greatest of all blessings. For only through our Lord's suffering and death have we been given the gift of eternal life. I'm sure you would agree the greatest blessing ever. 
Every cross is a gift, and we shouldn't be afraid to call suffering by its real name, a blessing, a good fortune, a way to bear fruit and become one with Christ. And as Christians, we should love and embrace our cross. It's our duty. For Christ himself said, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, 30. Nothing happens by chance, and everything that comes to us, the good as well as the bad, comes from the loving hands of our Heavenly Father. Yet so many people in our world see suffering not as a gift, but rather as a curse. They don't love the cross because they don't see it as something good and valuable. Well, what the world needs is a little attitude adjustment, (laughs) a story to illustrate. There was once a woman who woke up one morning. She looked in the mirror, and she noticed she had only three hairs on her head. Well, she said, I think I'll braid my hair today. (laughs) The next day, she woke up, looked in the mirror, and noticed that she had only two hairs on her head. Hmm, she said, I think I'll part my hair down the middle today. (laughs) The next day, she woke up, looked in the mirror, and noticed she had only one hair on her head. Well, she said, I think I'll wear my hair in a ponytail today. (laughs) The next day, she woke up, looked in the mirror, and noticed that there was not a single hair on her head. Yay, she exclaimed, I don't have to fix my hair today. (laughs) Well, when it comes to our crosses, we, like this woman, simply need to have the right attitude. Like I said, our crosses and our sufferings are a gift, and they're giving to us from the loving, loving hands of our Heavenly Father. And they're given to us as a means, a means to purify, a means to strengthen, and a means to transform our souls. But more importantly, they are given to us as a means in order to prove our love to our Lord and God. And let's face it, it's easy to love God when everything goes our way and all is good. But true love is proven in the hard and the difficult times. When we do accept our crosses and embrace them out of love for Christ, I believe, and without counting the cost, I believe that the blessings will come. And that we will come to see the value and and the purpose of our crosses. And let's not forget, God never allows an evil so great that he cannot bring out of it a greater good. As Romans 8.28 says, We know all things work for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And of course, that means the good as well as the bad. And when God does send us a cross, it's always with the hope that we will accept it and embrace it with love. This morning, I'm going to share with you the most difficult cross that I've ever had to carry, the death of our son, Brad. And I can honestly say that even though this was the worst time in my life, it was also one of the best times in my life. And if I could go back and do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. Why? Because the suffering and the, and the pain was worth all of the, the, uh, the blessings, the value, and the good that I found in my cross. God indeed had a purpose for giving our family this cross. Now, needlessly to say, Kim and I were both devastated, my husband Kim, we were both devastated by the loss of our child. But from the very beginning of Brad's death, we knew that God could and would bring something good out of it. And it is my hope that as I share my story, you will be able to see the blessings and the good that God was able to bring out of the cross that he chose for me and my family to accept, embrace, and love. May 3rd, 1990, started much like any other day. However, there was a little bit of excitement in the air, especially with our nine-year-old son, Brad. He had a field trip on this particular day. And of course, as we all know, a field trip day is always a great and exciting day. Well, Brad, though, out of the ordinary, had invited his dad to have breakfast with him. Usually, Kim was out the door and off to work before the kids had breakfast. Uh, And on this particular day, he just happened to still be home. And Brad invited him to eat breakfast with him. Well, Kim knew if he stayed and had breakfast, he would be late for a very important meeting at the office with his partners, which they would not be happy about. But since Brad had invited him, he decided to stay. And, of course, he's very grateful that he did take that opportunity to share that time together. I was one of the chaperones for the field trip, which consisted of a a visit to a local church where the the students would practice their end-of-the-year program. And then after the program, we would go to a nearby neighborhood park for a picnic lunch before returning back to school. And I remember, I remember sitting in that church auditorium that morning, and um, for Brad, for some unknown reason, just walked over to where I was, gave me a big hug and a kiss, and wanted to know if he could sit with me rather than his classmates and friends. 
The other moms even commented on how lucky they thought I was to have a child at that age who would still hug and kiss his mother in public. They thought it was sweet, and it was. And recently at this time in my life, I had lost one of my brothers to cancer. And I was struggling not so much with my grief, but rather how to help console my sister-in-law in her grief. Well, it just so happened that one of the other moms in the chaperone um, had a, was a friend of mine, was um, sitting next to me, and she herself had experienced the loss of her husband early in her marriage. So I decided to seek her advice on the matter. Well, the conversation quickly, however, led to a very good and mutual friend of ours who had recently lost a child and was dealing with her own grief. She, like me, was married to an OBGYN. Her three-year-old son, Trevor, had been hit by a car, which severed his brain stem. And of course, when this happens, there's really nothing they can do. The result is always death. And I remember sitting there and saying to my friend, I just can't imagine how difficult it must be for a mother to have to deal with the loss of a child. And that, that's got to be one of the hardest things for a mother to have to experience and endure. Little did I realize that within hours, I would be one of those mothers. Brad's class finally got their turn to practice on stage. And the last song he sung, along with his classmates and friends, was When the Saints Go Marching In. We finally made it to the park for our picnic lunch. And of course, the kids took off quickly to play. For Brad and his friends, that meant a game of Ninja Turtles, located in a large culvert in the park. Uh, Ninja Turtles, for those of you who don't remember, were superhero characters from a popular cartoon program at the time. And Ninja Turtles lived underground, so this culvert was a perfect setting for their imaginary play. However, this culvert that the boys had found to play in ran under one of the streets that surrounded the park. Brad had apparently gone through the park and up to the other side of the road, His friends, realizing that he was now outside of the park area, insisted that he come back before he got in any trouble, which he did. But instead of Brad crossing back through the culvert, he crossed over the road, failing to see an oncoming car. It was at this point that I heard a horribly loud noise, unlike anything I had ever heard before. And then I saw everybody running toward the street. As I, too, proceeded to follow and check out what had happened, I noticed something very colorful lying in the street. And then I realized that those were the colors of the clothes that Brad was wearing, and that what I was actually looking at was my child lying lifelessly in the street. I suddenly had a very overwhelming feeling that things were going to be really bad. And it was almost like at that point, like I felt a part of me just left. It was like I knew right then and there that he was not going to make it. Suddenly there were several people attending to Brad, while one of the moms kept me at a distance as she prayed. And there was also a lady who happened to be passing by who stopped and gave Brad mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Now, this was actually an answer to a prayer of mine. You see, when my children were little, I always had this fear that one of them one day would need CPR. And since I did not know how to do this procedure, I often prayed to God to never allow me to be in a situation where one of my children would need this procedure without having someone there who could do it. Why I never learned CPR other than stupidity, I don't know. But as you see, God does hear and answer our prayers. Before I knew it, Brad and I were both in an ambulance and taken to a local hospital. Upon arriving, I was placed in a small room off the ER waiting area. Kim, my husband, soon joined me. And this is where the doctors talked to us about Brad's condition and told us that there was nothing they could do. Brad had a severed brainstem and was dying, just like my friend's son Trevor had died. And while in this room, we also made and received phone calls to and from family members and friends. And while there, I received a phone call from someone very close to me who insisted that I go to Brad's side and pray and demand that Satan give him back to me, just release him and give him back to me. Well, we were finally allowed to go to Brad's side. And it was really kind of neat. On the way, we had to pass through the ER waiting area. And I remember being so touched by the number of neighbors and friends who had come to give their love and support. The ER was literally packed. And although it was very touching, at the same time, it was like deja vu. This was the same hospital that my friend's son Trevor was brought to after he had been hit by a car. Both boys had the same injury, a severed brain stem. Both had dads who were obstetricians. They had the same pediatrician. And many of the faces in the ER waiting area that day were the same as when we were there for Trevor. Anyway, 
When I did get to Brad's side, I remembered that one phone call about praying and demanding that Satan release him. But I, could, I just could not pray that prayer. I remember thinking to myself, Satan will have nothing to do with my child's death. This is between God and Brad. I knew that God was the author of life and that only God could take that life. And as far as demanding him back, I thought, who was I to make such a demand? You see, I knew without a doubt that heaven was our destiny. And I believe that it is a much greater place to be than here in this world. And not that there's not joy and happiness in this world and a purpose for us here in this world. But I knew that heaven was completely free of all the pains, the sorrows, and the struggles of this world. But even more importantly, I knew that as parents, it was our main job to get our children to heaven. And let's face it, they're not ours. They don't belong to us, but rather to God, their creator, and the true source of their happiness. So I thought, if Brad had a chance to be with our Heavenly Father, who was I to demand him back for my selfish reasons? Instead, I simply prayed, Lord, if you are ready to take Brad, and if Brad is ready to go to you, then that's between you and Brad. I'll deal with whatever I have to, and I'll be okay. Shortly after that, Brad was officially pronounced dead, and Kim and I returned home. (laughs) Jennifer, our daughter, still knew nothing about her brother's death at this point. And, of course, telling her about her brother's death was not an easy thing for us as parents to do, as you can well imagine. And I don't think that the reality of what had happened really hit her at the time. Being only seven, I think that understanding and even knowing how to react to her brother's death was a difficult thing for her. In fact, it wasn't until about a month or two after his death that she actually broke down and cried for the first time. I quickly learned that children deal with grief much differently than adults. And, of course, even adults deal with grief differently. We just have to respect these differences and allow others to grieve in their own way. Anyway, after um, later that same night after returning home, I was sitting on the couch praying and begging God to give me something, something to put on my child's grave marker other than born October 2, 1980, died May 3, 1990. You know, when you lose a loved one, especially a child, you want others to remember something special about them. Well, Kim had gone out for a short while, and as he, walked, uh, as he walked back through the door, he looked at me on the couch and he said, Bonnie, there's a song that reminds me about Brad. Well, I immediately asked him, well, what's the name of the song? And um, he said, well, I don't remember the name of the song, but, but there's a line in the song that says, this world was never meant for one as beautiful as you. Well, there was no doubt in my mind that this was my answer and my plea to God as to what to put on my child's grave marker. The morning after Brad died, I was ironing the clothes that he was to be buried in. And while ironing, I became very, very angry with God. And, um, you know, my intellect may have realized that heaven was a much greater place to be, but my heart was devastated and broken. And I remember saying to God in that anger, why? Why did you have to take Brad? And in return, I heard a very distinct voice, one not audible to the human ear, but yet a very real and distinct voice that quickly answered back. Now you know how I felt when my son died, to which I angrily replied back, yes, but you knew you would see your son again, to which he replied, and you too will see your son again. And it was at that point that the anger left never to return again, and I thank God for that grace. And that was the only time in my life that I can honestly say that I literally heard the voice of God, a blessing I will never forget and one I will always cherish. An incredible experience, to say the least. Now, from the moment the news about Brad's death spread throughout our community, love poured forth with such an abundance to our family. It seemed as if every person we knew or had ever met had come to be with us. Not only was the ER packed, but our home was filled with caring souls. The receiving line at the wake seemed never to end. And on the day of his funeral, there were people who were literally unable to fit into our church. All of this was such a beautiful experience, as well as a testimony of love. And God, without a doubt, was sustaining both Kim and I with this outpouring of love, as well as an outpouring abundance of his grace. And I think that this was most evident at Brad's wake, where, um, where, where his grace just really came forward. Uh, it was like everybody was coming to us to kind of console us. And instead, they said they found us comforting and consoling them. But it's amazing what God's grace can do, especially when you need it. And Brad's funeral was actually a very beautiful funeral. There was a real sense of God's presence in the church during his funeral mass. In fact, I remember sitting there wondering if anybody else was feeling this presence that I was feeling, 
Well, sure enough, after Mass, I found out that Kim and several family members and several friends also felt this presence. But it was also confirmed to me when several non-Catholics came to visit us a few days later. And they said that they did not believe that God was alive and present in the Catholic Church, but that after being at Brad's funeral mass, they had no doubt, because they had felt his presence that day in a very profound way. And they actually apologized to us for the way that they had thought about Catholics in the past, as well as the way they had thought others about Catholics. Sunday, the day after Brad's funeral, we celebrated Jennifer's first Holy Communion. And of course, one of our parish priests, realizing that this would probably be very difficult the day after our son's funeral, did offer us the opportunity to do this privately at another time. But Kim and I both felt that in spite of what had happened, it would be better for Jennifer to celebrate this beautiful sacrament with her classmates and friends. Not to mention, we had a lot of family members who had come in town for Brad's funeral, and they were still in town. Sitting there that Sunday in our church was not an easy thing for any of us to do. However, it was an incredible witness to others there that day. And you know, you never know when God's going to use you to witness to others. He does, and he will. He just needs our cooperation. Later, that Sunday afternoon, Kim and I went to visit the young man who was driving the car that hit Brad. We wanted him to know that we understood that it was an accident, and that we had no hard feelings, and that we would not be pressing any charges. You see, this young man had been speeding because he was late for work. Did we feel like doing this? No but we knew it was the right thing to do. As Christians, we are called to forgive one another. How can we expect God to have mercy on us if we don't have mercy on others? And besides, we only receive mercy from God to the measure that we give it to others. And you know, one time I heard a statement, it's well worth repeating, the statement was, we resemble Christ most when we forgive others. Something well worth meditating on, especially when we are struggling with forgiveness. We resemble Christ most when we forgive others. A few days after Brad's death, I had yet another incredible experience. I'd gone into my room to take a nap. While there, I experienced a presence in the room that just filled me with an incredible and indescribable feeling of peace and joy. And I remember thinking, wow, this must be what heaven feels like. And if I could just stay in this state or this whatever it was for an eternity, that would be fine with me. I felt complete and in need of nothing. And I did not want the experience to end. I don't think it lasted for more than a minute or two, but the memory of that experience has always, always remained with me. And there were other incredible experiences. But there was one in which God manifested his blessings and his grace in a very concrete way. This took place a couple of weeks after Brad died. I had decided exactly what I wanted etched on my child's tombstone. But I needed a drawing, a drawing that we could send to the company that would be doing the work. Well, I asked one of my dear friends, who just happened to be an art major, if she would draw this picture for me. I gave her some pictures of Brad, and I told her I wanted a back view of him sitting down with his arms around Buffy, our basset hound. Brad and Buffy, you see, were very close to each other. In fact, believe it or not, when Brad died, Buffy actually went into mourning for an entire week, maybe longer. She hid under the back deck of our house, refusing to come out except for an occasional uh, bite to eat or maybe a sip of water. And it was, it was the saddest thing to see because she was usually a very, very playful dog. It was like somehow Buffy knew that Brad was gone and wasn't coming back. And she was sad. Anyway, I wanted the two of them on this grave marker. Along with that inscription, this world was never meant for one as beautiful as you. My friend drew exactly what I asked for. Uh, and actually, she drew several versions for me to pick from. She brought them over one morning, and I immediately picked out my favorite. And that very afternoon, our daughter Jennifer walked in the door from school, tossed her backpack on the floor, and out falls a book which lands right in front of me. On the cover of this book was a picture almost identical to the drawing I had picked out of my, from my friend this morning. I picked up the book, noticing the title, I'll Always Love You, and I read it. It was a story about a little boy who every night told his dog, I'll always love you. In the story, the dog dies. What was interesting about this is that every night before Brad went to bed, he would always say, good night, sweet dreams, I love you. Thinking there must be a logical explanation uh, to such a coincidence of these two pictures, I immediately called my friend and asked if she'd gone to the library and perhaps copied her her drawing from a book she saw there. (laughs) 
And she informed me that, yes, she had gone to the library, but only to use encyclopedias because she didn't know how to draw a basset hound. And actually, I never should have suspected her. Remember, I was the one uh, of copying anything. I was the one in the first place who told her exactly what to draw. A back view of Brad sitting down with his arm around Buffy. What else was amazing about this whole incident is that our daughter Jennifer ordered this book from the Scholastic Book Club before Brad died. I remember after seeing and reading um, this book, feeling like Brad was trying to communicate with me. I felt like he was trying to say, Mom, I'm all right, I'm okay, and I'll always love you. And looking at the drawing done by my friend and the cover of this book, I'll Always Love You, I don't see how anyone can say that this was just a coincidence. Um, For me, including myself, um, as I mentioned earlier, there is, for a Christian, there's no such thing, you know, as, as a coincidence. Um, this was to me this was just really just another blessing and a gift from the loving hands of our Heavenly Father and you know no one knows how much faith one has until one is handed a cross to carry thus testing that faith for me my cross was an opportunity to see just how much faith I had as well as an opportunity to grow stronger in that faith It was an opportunity for me to continue to love Brad, for although he was not with us physically, he was spiritually. He was gone, but not lost. And it was uh, also an opportunity for me to carry a cross out of love for Christ and to prove my love for him the way he did for me. And it was also an opportunity to experience God's presence and love in a very profound way. In fact, his presence was so profound that I actually became envious of another, another's cross. About a year after Brad died, I had to attend the funeral of another child in our church parish. And I remember sitting, sitting in that mass, during the funeral mass, and thinking to myself, wow, now these parents are going to have the opportunity to be, to be carried in God's arms the same way that I had been carried and to experience his profound embrace and presence in their life. You see, I had reached a point in my grief process where I felt God was beginning to let me walk on my own two feet again. Life for me after Brad's death was much like that poem, Footprints in the Sand. I felt I was literally being carried through the grief process. And I realized that letting me walk on my own two feet again was good, but at the same time, I did not want to let go of that profound embrace of our Lord. And therefore, I was somewhat envious of the fact that these parents were now going to be totally carried in his arms, as I had been. And I realized that through my cross that I was blessed in many ways. And I truly believe that the reason I was was because of the fact that I had accepted it and embraced it with love. And it really saddens me when I see people who reject their crosses. This only makes it more difficult for them to carry their cross, and they will still have to carry it anyway. Simply put, a cross without Christ is a curse, but a cross with Christ is a blessing, and the choice is ours. Carrying this cross was not easy. No cross is. Uh, The cost of loving God is high, but the benefits are worth it. When we do accept and embrace our cross out of love, God rewards us with his presence and his intimacy. And this is why I can say that even if I had the opportunity to change the tragic death of my son, I wouldn't, because the suffering was worth all of this incredible experience and God's intimacy, as well as the spiritual growth that I gained. And because I believe, I believe that, God, that Brad is now living in God's presence and embrace. My husband, Kim, also accepted and embraced his cross out of love. But for him, it brought about a huge conversion. And I'm not saying that it wasn't a source of conversion for me by any means, for all crosses are, but not like it was for him. For Kim, it was a conversion much like that of St. Paul's because he, too, was knocked off his horse, so to speak. One of the first things that Kim noticed after Brad's death was how selfish we had been in regards to being open to life. We only had two children, and now with one gone, our home felt so empty to him. And he was determined to end the selfishness, so he insisted that I throw away my diaphragm, which I did, and which was fine with me, because, you see, I had already been struggling for some time with the contraceptive issue. I was well aware of what the Catholic Church taught about contraception, that it was morally wrong. 
specifically artificial contraception, meaning any forms of hormonal contraception like pills, patches, uh, barrier methods, IUDs, withdrawal, as well as sterilization. And actually, prior to 1930, all Christian religions oppose contraception. They all taught that every marital act must be open to the transmission of life. It was around 1930, however, that the condom was invented. And the question arose as to whether or not couples could use this to avoid pregnancy. And in response to the demands of the families during that time, which were relatively large families and families experiencing poverty due to the Great Depression, the Anglican Church decided that contraception could be a moral choice for couples, but only couples with a serious reason to avoid pregnancy. They never intended for contraception to be widespread and used for any reason whatsoever. And, of course, the Catholic Church remained firm in her teaching, as she still does today. Anyway, a few days after Brad died, Kim had what I guess you could say was a supernatural experience. Maybe not, but whatever it was, it made a really big impact on how he would live the rest of his life. While walking around in our backyard and thinking about Brad, he suddenly saw a bright light. And then his past sins just flashed before him, much like that, say, like the projection of a movie. Well, after this experience, Kim was determined to get rid of any sin in his life, or at least as much as he could. He didn't want anything to keep him from getting to heaven and the opportunity to be with Brad once again. And this is where God was really able to bring about a greater good as a result of our cross. After all, God does have a purpose for giving us a cross. As I mentioned, I was already struggling with a contraceptive issue. And I was glad that Kim had come to the realization that we needed to be more open to life in our marriage, and we were. In fact, six months after Brad's death, I was pregnant, but at 17 weeks, and of all days on Valentine's Day, we lost that child. Um, One month later, I conceived again, which resulted in the birth of our son, Stephen, now 16. And we would have liked to have had more children, but unfortunately, that was not God's will. Now, Kim and I were not, though, totally in agreement on the contraceptive issue. We agreed that for us and in our marriage, it was wrong to use contraception. The problem was I saw things simply black or white. I believed that the same logic that we applied to abortion, which we were both opposed to, also applied to contraception. In other words, I believed that if it was equally as wrong to assist someone to have an abortion as it was for one to actually have an abortion, as the church teaches, then it was also equally as wrong to assist someone in the use of contraception if it was wrong for us to use contraception. If something was gravely wrong for us, it just did not make sense to me that we could help someone do something that we believed was against God's will. Kim did not agree with me, at least not in regards to contraception. And he even talked to a priest on the matter. He was told simply to use his conscience because it's just a very tough world out there. Just use your conscience. Well, however, you know, if our conscience is misinformed or not well-informed, it's very difficult for one to make a good decision. Of course, I have to admit, I think Kim liked this advice because he knew. He knew that if he stopped prescribing contraception, he would lose a lot of patients. And, of course, that would affect our income. We had quite a few discussions on the subject, but to no avail. Until one day, I received a pastoral letter written by Bishop Flavin of Lincoln, Nebraska. It was specifically addressed to Catholic couples and physicians on the issue of artificial contraception. This just happened to come in the the mail with some pro-life material. But like I said, nothing happens by chance. The letter was basically addressing the fact that contraception was wrong for Catholic couples to use, as well as for Catholic physicians to prescribe. After reading it, I realized that I needed to share it with Kim. So when he came home that afternoon, I simply handed it to him and said, I think you need to read this. He did. And his reaction was not a pleasant one, to say the least. He became very angry with me and, pointing to our beautiful home, looked at me and said, well, all this will be gone. And, of course, I knew that meant our lake, our camp at the lake, as well as the lifestyle we were used to living. And for days, maybe weeks, Kim was so angry with me. And I had actually become tired of trying to convince him that, as a Catholic physician, it was wrong for him to prescribe contraception. And I I finally just reached a point where I just simply said to God, I wash my hands of this. He's all yours to deal with, Lord, on this issue. I've done all I can. And you know, if you give something to God to take care of, you can trust he will. 
in his time and in his way. We just have to, as the saying goes, let go and let God. Well, several weeks passed, but during that time, Kim kept thinking of that letter and its content, especially several quotes from our Holy Father, our late great John Paul II. And these quotes really bothered him. In an address to the bishops of the United States, the Holy Father stated the following. It has been noted that there is a tendency on the part of some Catholics to be selective in their adherence to the Church's moral teachings. It is sometimes claimed that dissent from the magisterium is compatible with being a good Catholic and poses no obstacle to the reception of the sacraments. This is grave error, he said. The letter also stated that Catholic physicians and others who prescribed contraceptives or recommended their use were cooperators with those who used them. Such cooperation, he said, is gravely sinful. Now, Kim, being a product of Catholic education, knew quite well what was meant by grave error, mortal sin. And since he was determined to get rid of any sin in his life, or at least as much as he could, especially mortal sin, he knew he had to deal with these words as well as his response to them. In fact, at one point, uh, he even thought about becoming an Episcopalian. (laughs) He thought it would be a lot easier to change which denomination he belonged to than the way that he was practicing medicine. But God had other plans. Kim had gone to church one afternoon to attend weekday Mass. Well, it just so happened that Mass was being said by a visiting priest. Kim sensed that this was a very holy man, and so he decided to seek his advice after Mass as to whether or not it was wrong for a Catholic physician to prescribe contraception. Kim obviously wasn't completely satisfied with the advice he'd received from the first priest he talked to. Anyway, after speaking with this priest, Kim became convinced that, yes, it was wrong for him as a Catholic physician to prescribe contraception. Not long after that, Kim spoke with our parish priest, wanting to know, who was that visiting priest that he had spoken with recently? He was told, there hadn't been any visiting priest recently. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe this priest was a messenger sent by God to give Kim the answer he needed to hear and the answer he knew in his heart to be true. Kim now realized that to be a a Catholic in good standing, he had to stop prescribing contraception, eliminating sin in his life, and receiving the sacraments worthily were extremely important to him. And at first he stopped prescribing contraception more out of obedience to the church. He did this for about eight months, not fully understanding why the church taught what she did or the way she did on contraception. But he knew that he had to trust and obey the church's teachings, especially the ones on moral issues. He knew he couldn't just pick and choose some of them because being a cafeteria Catholic was not an option for him. He eventually read the church document, Humanae Vitae, Latin for of human life, written by Pope Paul VI in 1968. And the Holy Father wrote this document to address the concerns and the fears of the church with regards to the widespread acceptance of contraceptive practices and to warn us of the consequences that would result. You see, over those, the past 30 years, those 30 years prior to him writing Humana Vitae, the use of contraception had, been, had become accepted by most Protestant, Protestant churches. And in the Catholic Church, on the other hand, it was estimated that two out of three, only two out of three Catholics, were remaining faithful to the church's teaching on contraception. And it was also around this time that a new challenge arose, the pill. And in response to this new challenge, the Holy Father wrote this document, Humanae Vitae. And in this document, the Holy Father said, It's easy to see how wide a road how wide and easy a road would be opened up toward infidelity and the lowering of morality if contraception were accepted. And, of course, we know he was right. For since the acceptance of contraception, we have seen the following. The legalization of abortion, the rapid increase of divorce, the normalization of sex outside of marriage, an increase in venereal diseases, an increase in out-of-wedlock births, as well as an increase in homosexuality. Now, the acceptance of contraception might not be the only cause for all these problems, but it has certainly played a major role. And the Pope also stated in this document, It's feared that man, growing used to contraceptive practices, will lose respect for woman and will come to see her as a mere instrument of selfish enjoyment and no longer his respected and beloved companion. Now, Kim 
being an OBGYN, spent every day in his office listening to the complaints and the concerns of women. And he could easily see the truth in this statement from the Holy Father. And let's face it, many of us know women today who live with the scars from choices made because of the acceptance of contraceptive practices. For Kim, reading Humanae Vitae also made him realize that undeniable link between contraception and abortion. The link between contraception and abortion is that as long as a society accepts contraception, abortion will have to be made available in order to take care of the unwanted pregnancies. This document also re-energized Kim because now he realized that the Catholic Church had the truth and he could now see the wisdom of the Church's teaching on contraception. As Kim continued to practice in accordance with the Church's teaching, it eventually became evident that doing so in a predominantly Protestant town in Alabama was not going to be easy. The majority of his patients were Protestant women who had no problem coming to him as their OB. He actually was one of the most popular OBs in town. They liked him. They wanted him for their OB. But since they saw nothing wrong with contraception, after they had their babies, they would simply go to another physician who would prescribe contraception to them. And of course, Kim lost a lot of patients because of this decision, which he knew would happen. He also realized that even if he could convince these women why they should not use contraception, he needed to be able to give them an alternative. That alternative he learned, was natural family planning, known as NFP. You see, although Catholics are not allowed to use contraception, the Church does allow the use of natural family planning. NFP is a morally acceptable method to regulate the births of children. The Church says that for good and sufficient reasons, thousands may regulate the births by abstaining from the marital act during the wife's identified fertile period. And this is what NFP does. It helps one identify that fertile period. Uh, And, of course, the methods used today are not the old rhythm method. They're newer. They're very reliable when used correctly, not to mention they don't have the harmful side effects of contraception. And, of course, I realize that many people think that NFP doesn't work because they they see the families who use them in their large families. And so, uh, and that's true. But But the real truth is, is that most families who use NFP tend to be very open to life because they see the value and the beauty of life and and a soul that will live on in eternity. And one might also think, well, what difference does it make in choosing to use NFP instead of contraception? The end result seems to be the same, regulating the number of births. What difference does it make how one chooses to do so? Well, there is a difference. The church recognizes the need to space children. And one way to do this works with nature, building sacrificial love and self-control, and at the same time, um, decreasing lust and increasing faith. And this is what NFP does. Contraception, on the other hand, achieves the same end while trying to destroy nature, resulting in a decrease in sacrificial love, faith, and self-control, and at the same time, increasing lust. Faith and nature must work together. That's the way God intended it. Now, Kim's partners did not approve of his decision to stop giving out contraception, as well as refusing to do tubal ligations. They became very angry and difficult to work with. Kim soon realized that if we wanted to stay in Alabama, it would be best for him to be in a solo practice, instead of remaining in a practice with partners who were angry with him, as well as the way he was practicing. However, solo practice for Kim would only work if his partners would at least agree to give him some occasional coverage. When Kim asked his partners if they would give him this occasional coverage, they replied with an absolute no way. Well, what was interesting about this is that we had one of those little daily scripture calendars, you know, the kind each day you get a new, new verse, Bible verse. Well, one day Kim noticed that the calendar was flipped ahead to a future date. And the, the verse on the, on the page said something like, If you find yourself in time of trouble, wait on the Lord, and he will answer in his time. Well, now, since Kim was really struggling with the situation at the office and not knowing where this decision to stop giving out contraception was going to lead him, he decided just to leave the calendar on that, that date or that page just to remind him that he needed to trust in the Lord. Well, when Kim asked his partners if they could, if they could meet together, to talk about the situation at the office and to share his idea about going into solo practice. They they agreed to that meeting, but they insisted that the meeting be on a certain day. 
That day was the same date that the calendar had been flipped ahead to. Kim eventually also came to see that he could do more good uh, for God and the church by helping others to embrace and learn NFP. And of course, the best way to do this would be to move to an area where NFP was accepted and used. It just made more sense to him to do this and to remain in an area where he was simply being tolerated. We both loved the town we were living in, especially the friends we had made, and we really did not want to leave. But it was becoming more and more evident to both of us that God was asking us to give up the town and the friends we so dearly loved. I remember at one point, I I prayed to God, I'd lost a rosary that was extremely uh, special to me and had been missing about a year. Well, I prayed that prayer. And the next day, I walked into the washroom, which I did every day of my life. And um, on the floor was my rosary. Anyway, Kim looked into the possibilities of where he could make that living, uh, make a living as a non-contraceptive OBGYN, which he knew would have to be in a predominantly Catholic area. Well, at the time, there were actually two places in the United States, Arlington, Virginia, and Lafayette, Louisiana. Ironically, we happened to have family living in Lafayette. And being that we were both from Covington, moving to Lafayette meant we would only be a few hours from family and friends there, much closer than the drive we were were taking from, from Alabama. It's amazing how good God is. Here he was asking us to give up the town and the friends we so dearly love, but giving us the opportunity to move back home to another place we loved with friends and family we loved. Kim was offered a job in Arlington as well as Lafayette, but for the obvious reasons, we chose Lafayette. Making that move, however, was still a sacrifice for our family. Kim had no idea as to whether or not his non-contraceptive practice would even receive enough support to survive. For him, this took a lot of courage because it meant stepping out in faith and trusting that God would provide as he saw fit. And although his decision to stop prescribing contraception has not been easy, his practice has been successful and he's been blessed in many ways. Over the years, Kim has come to see others embrace this teaching, including other Catholic physicians who now embrace this teaching in their medical practice. When Kim first made the decision to stop giving out contraception, there were only about two or three other Catholic OBGYNs in the United States with non-contraceptive practices. There are now over 100. And at the same time, there was only about 100 Catholic family practitioners with non-contraceptive practices. There are now over 700. I think God's working here. Uh, And Kim has also had the privilege of seeing one of our local Catholic OBGYNs in Lafayette stop prescribing contraception in his practice. A number of Kim's employees, as well as several members of our family, even some who are not Catholic, have come to embrace this teaching as well. God had a certain path that he wanted Kim to follow, and he used Brad's death to accomplish that purpose. And God also had a purpose for Brad's death in the life of our daughter, Jennifer. Because of his death and the changes that it caused in us, especially in Kim, Jennifer developed a deep love for the church. She has witnessed the beauty and the value of the church's teaching and has been taught to have the courage to follow follow God no matter how difficult. Moving to Lafayette gave her the opportunity to grow up in a Catholic surrounding with many avenues to experience the beauty and riches of our Catholic faith. And this she would not have received if we had stayed in Alabama. In the town we were living in in Alabama, there were less than 2% Catholics. We had one Catholic church and no Catholic schools. I hope that by sharing my story with you, that you will see the blessings and the good that God was able to bring out of the cross that he chose for us, Brad's death. And that you will see the beauty, see the beauty and the, and the value of every cross. We all have crosses, and they are given to us, like I said, as a means. A means to purify, a means to um, transform, uh, and they're also a great means of conversion. And they strengthen us. The cross is a gift, but more importantly, it's a necessary gift. We need our crosses. As Romans eight sixteen and 17 says, It is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. As the saying goes, no cross, no crown. The cross is not our enemy, but rather our friend. It's a precious gift that brings us closer to Christ. And of course, it's something we never have to carry alone. Christ is on one side of the cross, but the other side is for us. But more importantly, it's a necessary gift because it gives us the opportunity to prove our love 
to God. And if you don't see the cross as a gift, well, then maybe it's time for that attitude adjustment. And for those of you who have lost a loved one, remember this. Love will not bring our loved ones back, but it will bring us to our loved ones. And I'd like to thank each of you for coming out and giving me the opportunity to share my story with you. Hopefully it has helped you see that the cross is a gift, a gift we should always accept and embrace and love. Thank you very much. We hope you have been touched by Bonnie Hardy's faith-filled testimony. What a wonderful witness story. Well, we certainly hope you have enjoyed the program. And for more information or a copy of today's broadcast, please write us at Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. Once again, Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, zip code 92859. And for some of you, it might be easier to call. So feel free to call us at 800-500-4556. If you would like to have more information about the Magnificat ministry, including a location of a Magnificat chapter in your area, you can call 504-828-MARY. That's 504-828-MARY. Or visit the Magnificat website at www. Magnificat-Ministry.org. On behalf of Magnificat Proclaims, this is Donna Ross inviting you to join us next time as we present more personal testimonies from our inspirational Catholic speakers. Remember, Magnificat Proclaims the Greatness of the Lord. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you in His peace. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.